Good morning. Uh, today we are continuing on in a series we're calling Unquenched in talking about kind of the person and role of the Holy Spirit. And today we are going to focus our attention on a pretty uh, dynamic demonstration of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, which in church history has come to be known as Pentecost, uh, which carries with it a whole lot of presuppositions from people if you've grown up in the church, have any kind of experience with this. Um, And so we're going to try to get into a little bit about that. And up to this point, what we've talked about in this series is the Spirit and God, and laid out some theology there about how the Spirit has and always has been and always will be part of the Trinity. And we've talked about the Spirit and Jesus and how the Spirit works through Jesus to bring about things like creation and redemption in various ways. We talked about that last week. If you haven't heard those talks, I would encourage you to get the podcast, listen to it online. We had some extra information to go along with those as well that's available to you. And like I said, today we're going to talk about the Spirit and Pentecost and how hopefully at the end of this we'll see that the Spirit, in this case, brings the law of love of God into the presence of humanity and makes it known to us and in our hearts and in our communities. My hope and aim today is that to be able to show nearly 2,000 years later, uh, after it happened, that the event of Pentecost is not as important as the intent of Pentecost. Okay, that the event is not as important as the intent of Pentecost. That the, the event came to an end. It was, it was this thing that happened in Jerusalem in real time, in real space, that, that happened and is over, or was over, but, but the intent continues on and can happen again as much as the Spirit would like. Um, so we're going to talk about really what the, the, the effect of that intent is on our lives and on our world. And it's important for us, before we move on, though, for me to lay out a couple things that I think are important to this, uh, that this was a real event, okay? This was a real event that really happened to real people in a real city and had real consequences. And, and so, in my mind, what that means is that it, it would be like if it happened here, okay, it wouldn't just be a story to you in the Bible anymore. It would be a, a real thing that happened in real time, in real space, with real people. So, I want you to keep that in mind, that this was a real thing that happened in Israel and in Jerusalem and to the people of God. The second thing that we need to know is that it was an an unexpected paradigm shift in how God interacted with humanity. They did not see this coming, particularly the Jewish people, the people of God did not see this coming, and it's why they reacted so, uh, a lot of people reacted opposed to it, because this is not how it was supposed to go, and we'll look a little bit at that. But as much as it was a paradigm shift, It was actually a continuation of the narrative that God has been writing ever since the Garden of Eden, that he is pursuing humanity, and he wants to be in intimate relationship with human beings. And so in that sense, it was a continuation of what God has been doing all along. Like I said, at the end of the day, my prayer is that you'll see your part in that narrative, and the part that you play in in receiving the Spirit and living and walking in the Spirit of God, and that he's at work in you and through you, and that you are the people of God, as Christ followers, and that we are part of what I would call a new exodus, which we're going to look at that narrative a little bit as well. And hopefully we'll see that the intent behind the dramatic event of Pentecost is still true in changing the world. It's changing you, it's changing me, it's changing the church, it's changing our schools, it's changing our communities, our, our businesses, our nonprofit organizations, hopefully our politics, uh, ultimately building the kingdom of God through ambassadors in the church. Ambassadors that show that God is really among us. That God is truly among his people to a skeptical and dying world. So 
to begin, if you have a copy of the scriptures, I would encourage you to take it out because we're going to read a big chunk of uh, Acts chapter 2. If you have that, you can turn there now. Uh, we're going to start really in, in chapter 1, though. So the history here is that Jesus has been crucified on a cross. He has been resurrected three days later, and he is talking to his disciples, and he's trying to tell them on multiple different, occasion, multiple different occasions what's going to happen. And we talked about that the last couple weeks even, that in John 14, 15, 16, you can see Jesus telling the disciples, this is what's going to happen. The Spirit's going to come. The Counselor's going to come. One who's going to guide you into all truth is going to come. It's actually better if I leave and he comes. And we talked about that last week. And yet it was still vague for the disciples. Some of them went back to fishing. They weren't totally sure what was happening. And where we catch up with them here in chapter 1 of Acts is sort of after all that context uh, is laid. Look at uh, chapter 1 of Acts, verse 4. Luke records this. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he being Jesus, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still waiting for this physical kingdom to come into existence. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before the very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So what I would say here is that you can see the intent already of why the Spirit is going to come upon the disciples to make them witnesses, to make them ambassadors, to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that he was Lord and King, to the rest of the earth. So he's telling them, go to Jerusalem, wait for the Spirit to come, and then you'll be empowered to be witnesses to go out into the world. So now look at chapter 2. Now we can get into the event, right? He's laid out the intent of what's going to happen, and now we can see the event. Now this is, like I said, this is kind of a long text, so just uh, hang with me here if you don't have it. um, You know, hopefully pay attention. Um, He says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, meaning all the disciples. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Now you can hear Luke get really detailed here and start to tell you the types of people that were there. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia... Uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language, in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? What is the intent of this? What is going on here? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Now, I love Peter's response here. Peter, who was so scared just a little while earlier, who ran away denying Jesus three times. Listen to what the Spirit does through him here. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the the uh, crowd. 
Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Like, like I don't know what he's allowing for there. Uh, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So earlier they're asking, what is happening? What's the intent here? And he says, here it is, I'm going to tell you. Joel talked about this much earlier, the prophet Joel, who said this. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and, on, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. How bold is he now in the spirit? But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. David had written this years earlier, years earlier, talking about who would come and fill the throne that God had promised. Peter says, Brother, I, brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew uh, that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received the fa- uh, from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, Going back to this Joel prophecy now, he's received the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So again, there's this prophecy from King David. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, both King and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is an absolutely crazy event in the history of the church and in the history of the world. But it happened to a few thousand people in real time, in real space. It's bonkers, okay? Like, let's just admit that this is a totally crazy thing that the Spirit of God does in Jerusalem. But when we read this account, we have this tendency to focus on the event. 
We focus on the event of, of this miraculous thing that happened and the speaking in tongues, the speaking in different languages. We focus on the event and we miss the intent of the Holy Spirit in doing this miracle. So here's the intent that I would say. The Holy Spirit operated in power on the disciples to speak in different languages so that Jesus, again, would be testified to as true. And so that people would repent and find life in God. You can see that when they ask Peter what's going on, he says, this is what's happening, and they repent, and they're baptized, and they come into faith, and they receive the Spirit. This account is not in our scriptures so that the event gets all the attention. It's in your scripture so that the Spirit gets intent, uh, attention for what he intended to do, which is to make Jesus known, which is what we've been talking about both weeks of this series so far. The intent was to make Jesus known. Now, some of you uh, may not have encountered this story before. If you're new to faith, if you're new to the church, if you're new to scripture, um, it's crazy. Okay, like we, we can admit that this is crazy and this is a totally bizarre thing. And, and in the coming weeks, I would ask you to come back and listen because we're going to start to parse some of this out as to how the Spirit actually did operate and still operates in people's personal and corporate lives as a church. But if you're like me and you've grown up in the church and you've, you've heard this story before, you come into this with presuppositions. And you've probably grown up in environments that have told you different things about this thing. And I think there's, there's three different environments that you might have grown up in. And I want to talk about them real briefly here. The first environment is this. You've been in church environments where visible manifestations of the Spirit have been sought out. They, they have been prayed for, sung for, danced for, pushed for, faked, possibly, and exhorted from the pulpit and from leaders. The event has been sought after. You understand the event, this, this, this dynamic working of the Spirit has been sought after rather than the intent of the Holy Spirit. And I was trying to think of, of like what a good analogy for this would be, and I don't know if it's good or not, but it's what I got, so you can go with me on this one. I think this is sort of like if you were a biographer of da Vinci, and you were to, to study him and want to be an, 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 you know, an excellent, and have excellent knowledge of him, yet you only ever looked at the Last Supper, and you only ever focused on that. You went to Milan and you stood in the monastery and you looked at the Last Supper. You can't quite call yourself a biographer. You can't say you know everything about da Vinci by only looking at this one thing that he has done. He has a much broader body of work to look at. Contributions to science, to medicine, to the humanities, to engineering. Designed a helicopter for goodness sake. Like There's, there's way more than just the Last Supper. But this is what's happened in the history of the church is people get so locked in on the event of tongues and they say, we just want to study that. We just want to know about that. We just want that. And they miss the broader picture of the work of the Spirit in the life of the believers in the church. So maybe you've grown up in that environment. Or maybe you've been in church environments where visible manifestations of the Spirit were ridiculed. Okay, where they were made fun of, where they were shunned, where if people had those, they were looked at as, as weird, they were doubted, or these people were harassed or maybe even asked to leave. Again, it's focusing on the event and scrutinizing the event rather than looking into the intent of maybe what the Spirit is doing and praising the Spirit for his work. Again, thinking of da Vinci, this would be like seeing the Last Supper and spending 50 years arguing whether or not it's a genuine da Vinci and missing the beauty of the painting and missing the work that it is and how inspired that it is, the heart behind it, as well as ignoring the rest of the body of work again, only seeing this one thing and disregarding the rest of the work. 
Or finally, maybe been in a church in a church environment where visible manifestations of the Spirit were looked at as possibly true. Like maybe they are. Well, maybe we'll allow for this. I don't know. But they were possibly ignored or just reasoned away. Where it wasn't really talked about, nobody approached it, maybe afraid of it, talked about in hushed tones or just ignored altogether. The event, the event was admitted to be true, but no one knew what to do with it. No one knew how to respond to it or whether or not the intent was even still true for that environment or for today. Finally, one more Da Vinci analogy. This is like someone taking you to the monastery in Milan, standing you before the wall where Da Vinci's Last Supper is painted, and, and you saying, eh, I'm not that into it and not being blown away by the fact that he has painted this thing, and it's inspiring. You miss the event and the intent and end up not allowing the artist to have any effect on you at all. Church, there is is more to the body of work of the Holy Spirit than just the speaking in tongues event of Pentecost. We fully believe that the Spirit can and wants to do these things in the church. But there's more. Than that. The Spirit is at work, and we are going to continue to talk about this for weeks in this series to see that the Spirit does manifest Himself in dynamic ways. And He does manifest Himself in subtle ways in which you are transformed. And the gospel of Jesus goes forward in both cases. That is the intent of the Spirit coming at Pentecost in power. The Apostle Paul talks about this uh, in 1 Corinthians 14. He talks about this, this focusing on the event. See, the Corinthian church had been pursuing manifestations of the Spirit. And there's a whole bunch going on in the Corinthian church that Paul has addressed up to this point. But he tries to coach them on this a little bit. And, and what he says to me is fascinating. He fully supports that tongues are real. He says he's spoken in tongues. He believes that they are a manifestation of the Spirit. He believes that they exist. He also believes that prophecy exists. The speaking of truth, of bold truth, empowered by the Spirit of God, to make Jesus known. And he tries to tell them, hey, brothers, stop thinking like children and focusing so much on this event. In 1422, he says this, tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand, you know, they they can't understand it, Or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Please hear me. I don't think Paul is making fun of speaking in tongues. He's not saying someone who speaks in tongues is out of their mind, and neither am I. He's saying, but if a non-believer comes into this environment and sees this, they're not going to understand what's happening. He says this in 24, but if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, speaking truth in the Spirit, worshiping in spirit and truth, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all, and that the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, listen to the intent, God is really among you. You hear what Paul's saying? He says, look, speaking in tongues is real. And you know what? It, it, is, it might be edifying for you personally. But if a non-believer comes in and sees this, it's not going to be edifying to them. You know what is edifying? Is, is worship in spirit and truth. Preaching in spirit and truth. Speaking to one another in spirit and truth. And what happens to this person is they end up proclaiming the intent of the Holy Spirit. God is truly among you. This is the intent of the Spirit. 
in these events. Do you hear it, church? This is what the Spirit wants to see happening in individuals and in the church. That the world would look at us and look at our behavior and look at our hearts and look at our actions and say, God is among them. God is among them. And I am cut to the heart like these people that Peter spoke to, and they want to be saved. To me, that is the intent behind the event of Pentecost. The the Holy Spirit wants to make Jesus known. And it has been his intent, like we've talked about from the very beginning, to bring about new creation and to bring about redemption in the world. Like I said, this, the Spirit has been at work, and we've been talking about this, and I, but I want, to, I want to draw some parallels here to the bigger narrative of God, of what the implications are for us as the church. To understand the magnitude of this, you need to see sort of what God has been doing all along. And I want, I want you to think about the concept of the Exodus. If you remember the Exodus, think about the people of Israel. Remember, God had told Abraham, I'm going to do something new through you. I'm going to bless the nations through you. And he makes them the nation of Israel. And eventually, Israel finds themselves enslaved in Egypt, right? And God sends someone to rescue them. He sends Moses to come and free them from this slavery. And Moses liberates them. They're these liberated slaves coming out of Egypt. You remember the day or the night, is it where that, what that was called, the holiday that's not called Passover, Remember that they, they took the blood of the lamb and they painted it on the doorposts and God, the angel passed over and eventually they're freed because of this dramatic event. Well, Passover is the beginning of the Exodus. They were led through certain death at the Red Sea. Fifty days later, when they're wandering through the desert, God brings them to Mount Sinai and Moses goes up onto the mountain and he comes down with the law. Fifty days later, he comes down. They have the, pro, the, the promise of God. Now Moses comes down with how this is going to be worked out. He comes down with the law. Rabbis for years in, in Jewish history have said that within the law is the Spirit of God at work. And when people would follow the law, remember what Jesus said the law was, it was loving God and loving neighbor. And it was this, this lifestyle that was to be put into practice by the people of Israel. The Spirit of God inhabited it, and they were to, to love one another and love God, and this is how it was supposed to be carried out. So the law comes down off Mount Sinai. The people are given a way to live and to be in covenant relationship with one another and with God. But we know that they can't do it, right? Like they continually fail at doing this. And God allows for this through the sacrificial system. But they can't uphold their end of the covenant. It was external to them and they weren't able to do it. At this point, God gives them a tabernacle, remember? And he says, my presence will be there. And then there's a cloud that's over the tabernacle. And whenever the cloud would move, the people would follow the cloud. God is dwelling with his people, but in this localized spot. And so all during this exodus, the people are, they have this law at work among them. They're following the cloud of God wherever it goes. And it's supposed to lead them to the promised land. They're headed for the promised land. They were supposed to be priests or ambassadors who were telling, showing the world what God's presence looks like among humanity. And then they end up, after the years of kingdom, they end up in exile. And we get these prophecies like Joel that I read about in Acts, and Ezekiel and Isaiah, telling people, listen, you have failed at this. You have not upheld the law, but someday God will come and he will put the law in your heart. It will no longer be external to you, it will be internal. It will be by his spirit that instead of just landing on one person, 
It will be in all of God's children. This is what's happening. This is the language that's happening in the Exodus as we come to this passage in Acts. So with the Exodus in mind, think with me now about a new Exodus. Remember what Jesus did, that he fulfills all of this. And he says it's going to happen. He delivers this promise, right? Think about it. Jesus was sent, like Moses, to God's people to lead them out of slavery. And eventually not just God's people, but to all of humanity to lead them out of slavery. The slavery to sin and to death. He liberates us so that we're no longer slaves. We're pulled out of this environment and given new life. The day and night that Jesus starts this liberation process, that God starts this, when was it? It was Passover. Right? So this new exodus, this is the language that's happening here. This new exodus starts to happen at Jesus' death and resurrection, that the people of God are being led out of slavery towards the promised land. He led us through certain death, and he told us what? That he was giving us a new covenant, a new covenant that would be love. It would be love, that God was love, and that the covenant would be all about love. And then he promised his disciples, the Spirit's going to come. And you can start to see how these things start to line up. And Adam talked about this a couple weeks ago. The Spirit brings us into knowledge of the gospel and the love of God. Passover, Jesus dead, resurrection. 50 days later, what happens? The Jews are all together in Jerusalem celebrating Pentecost. They're celebrating and remembering the day that the great law of God came down through Moses on Mount Sinai. They're celebrating and remembering that God has decided to work amongst his people through this law, and they can, they're supposed to love God and love one another, and they're begging God to send the Spirit in its fullness like Joel had prophesied for And they're waiting for this. Instead, 50 days later at Pentecost, instead of it happening at the temple where they waited for the fullness of the Spirit to come, we get Acts 2. This is the Pentecost event that they had been waiting for. So like I said, this is the continuing of God's narrative that he's been writing all along. It was just unexpected. The paradigm shifted that it was no longer going to be a spirit in the temple. It was no longer going to be an external law. It was a law that was fulfilled by Jesus completely, and then through his Spirit put into the hearts of his disciples at Pentecost. This is the intent of what's happening is that through unity with Jesus, we become children of God. The Spirit comes and dwells inside of us, and the law that he fulfilled, we now have the ability to fulfill by his Spirit who dwells inside of us. We end up becoming ambassadors like the Jewish people were supposed to be all along. A priesthood who goes out and tells people, this is the love of God among humanity. This is what it looks like. And by his Spirit, we are given the ability to live it out. This was a massive, massive paradigm shift for the people of Israel. This week of 2007, when Steve Jobs introduced the first iPhone. For you Android fans in here, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm going to praise Apple products for just a second. If you remember in 2007, the most advanced phone was probably a BlackBerry. It had a stylus, like an external device that you would like, lose all the time. It was very slow and cumbersome. If you wanted to really actually be able to do email, you had a computer somewhere. If you wanted to go on the internet, you had to go to a computer somewhere. You had a computer at work, a computer at home, all these different devices to help you do this. You had a camera that stored your digital photos, which was a revolution in and of itself. You had an iPod to hold your music over here, and all these things. So when Steve Jobs comes out onto the stage in 2007 at the release, there had been rumors that they were working on a phone. And he comes out on stage, and he puts up three icons on the screen. And he says, today we're going to release a new widescreen, touchscreen iPod to hold music. And the place goes crazy. 
They're super excited. All these Apple geeks are like totally amped about this iPod. And he says, and yes, today we are releasing a revolutionary mobile phone. Icon of the phone goes up and the place goes bananas. And then he says this weird thing. He says, and a new internet browsing device. And they're like, okay, we think. And he says, let me say this again. We're releasing a new iPod, a new phone, a new browsing device. And then the icon starts spinning on the screen. And he says, we're releasing a new phone, a new iPod, a new internet device. And then they realize what he's talking about. They put all these things into one device. It was the first time this had been done. No more stylus you could use your finger. There was a, you know, the pinch and zoom that you get to do on your phones now. That was unre- Do you remember when you had to cycle through voicemails one at a time? Like if you wanted to listen to the sixth voicemail, you had to listen to the five before it. They changed that with this device. So thank you, Apple. Okay, enough praising of Apple. It was an absolute paradigm shift in the mobile phone world. No one had been able to do this, but suddenly, instead of having to go to all these different places and do all these different things, it was in your pocket. It was right with you all the time, which is for good and bad. You can work anywhere and everywhere. Okay, so it completely revolutionized the world of technology. We're living in this world now. We don't even think about it. Our kids don't think about it like, you know, this is just expected now. But back then in 2007, this was revolutionary. This is the type of thing that's happening here in Jerusalem. When the Spirit comes, rather than coming to the temple and God residing there, God comes and he resides in humanity, in unkempt fishermen, in untrained men and women who go out and proclaim God to the world around them. And the Jews no longer needed to go and do X, Y, and Z to make sure that the Spirit would come. He came and he dwelled among his people. It was absolutely revolutionary. And they're questioning this, and the people are saying, what is happening? How is this is not what we thought was going to happen? We, we didn't expect this type of spirit environment. What is going on? And Peter answers them. I just want to read this verse one more time. They're freaking out about why this is happening, and Peter says, look, this is what Joel said would happen. This is the narrative that God has been writing all along. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. They will speak truth boldly. Your young men will see visions. Again, think, I mean, I know you've heard these stories. Like, think about the stories we've heard. We've even talked about here of of people seeing visions around the world. Of God rescuing them and pulling them out of darkness. Your old men will dream dreams. Think about the the revolutionary part of that. Old men still dreaming, still thinking about what's ahead, still hoping for more. Peter says, uh, Joel says, even on my servants, both men and women. This is revolutionary, church. At that point, the spirit, the, the people who were allowed to interact with God were trained religious men. And Joel prophesied years earlier, and God promised and delivered that the spirit would come on men and women, and they could prophesy together that they could be proclaiming the gospel together. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. What we learn from this is that God has diversified the priesthood. In the new Exodus, we all, as followers of Jesus, become ambassadors for the gospel. And that has been his intent all along, that that people would come to know his law of love, and that it would be written on their hearts. What Pentecost shows is that God is not restricted by language, God is not restricted by race, by gender, by class, by age, or by religious training. That all God's children are given the spirit and able to be ambassadors 
through whom the Spirit can do whatever he would like, whenever he would like, if we would turn our lives over to him. Whether that's speaking in tongues or being radically transformed so you love your kids differently. Both are a work of the Spirit that God wants to do in us to make Jesus known. That is the law of love. And when we make that known to the world, it changes everything. We believe that the Spirit will do whatever it takes to advance the kingdom and to make Jesus known. Speaking in tongues, prophecy, healings, confrontations with religious and political leaders in a peaceful way, speaking of repentance to people that need to hear it, justice and righteousness to the powers that be, both religious and political. You know, a couple weeks ago, Adam talked about, maybe it was last week, forgive me if I forget, uh, John 16, that when the Spirit comes, he would convict people of sin and and convict people of what, what righteousness and justice should look like. I really believe that the Spirit does that through his ambassadors, that we get to go out and live this and boldly proclaim what righteousness looks like. And we get to live this out. We get to proclaim what justice looks like and live this out. This is what it means when the Spirit starts to work through us. Church, we are in a new exodus, headed for the promised land, of which now we have a foretaste by the Spirit. We're going to talk about that in this series as well, that right now we have a foretaste of what is to come, a down payment, as it were, of the Holy Spirit of the promised land and time ahead. But we are now the tabernacle. We are now the temple that the Holy Spirit dwells in by our union with Jesus. So, what the heck does this mean for you today, right? Church, I would say this is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus gave us the Spirit through our union with him. And what we'll see in the coming weeks is that the Spirit is not just a dramatic actor on the public stage doing things like prophecy in tongues. He also makes you an ambassador by writing the law of love on your heart and changing you personally by guiding you, by still speaking to his followers, by transforming you, by giving you victory over sin, Paul talks about. Gifting you as an individual for the good of your life and for the good of the church and the community. Giving you talents and gifts to use in that way. So how does this happen in your life? The same way it happened in the lives of these early disciples. They were close to Jesus. They waited. They submitted their lives to him and asked him to guide them. They waited for the Spirit to come rather than acting simply on their own, trying to accomplish the kingdom all on their own. They waited and the Spirit gave They gave the Spirit free reign in their midst to do whatever it took to grow the kingdom in Jerusalem, Samaria, and Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And as we'll see in coming weeks, they also gave the Spirit free reign to convict them and lead them into truth in their own personal lives. They let the kingdom grow in their own hearts, not just the ambassadors of it externally, but they let it grow in their own heart. Maybe not as visibly as explosive as speaking in tongues. But think about how different your family would be, how different your workplace would be, how different your community would be if you allowed the Spirit to change the way you speak, change the way you eat, change the way you drink, change the way you spend money, raise your kids, love others, do your job, stop complaining, be content, care for the poor. Like all these different things that the Spirit has the power to do if we would be unified to Jesus and believe the gospel and allow him to work in our lives. If we truly lived believing that we are children of God, that God is at work today among us, 
if we truly lived into our identity as free and empowered people of God. People would look upon our normal, non-dynamic, maybe speaking in tongues life and say, surely God is among you. That is the work and intent of the spirit of Pentecost. Worship team, you can come forward. We're going to sing one more song. What I want to do right now is, I know that was a, maybe theologically heavy again, or I don't know, but what I want is I would like you to, why don't you stand up? I know it's hot. Everybody stand up, cool off. What we see happen in the New Testament in several occasions is that people who were already believers asked again to receive the Spirit. Now, theologically, I believe that when you receive Jesus, you are indwelled with the Spirit, which we'll talk about next week. But I think what we can do is, like the disciples, we can wait. We can turn our lives more fully over to the Spirit and ask that he would make us ambassadors, ask, us, ask him to make Jesus known in our own lives and in the world around us. So I, I want to just pray real quick. If you're comfortable doing this, you can close your eyes if you want to. But if you want to just put your hands out, almost as a symbol of, like, Spirit, we know you're real. And we want you to indwell us and give us power. If you want to do that, you're welcome to. Um, But just bow your heads and pray with me. Holy Spirit, we trust you. We know that you are fully God. Spirit, I pray that you would pour out yourself into our hearts and into our community here that you would let your power be made known. Whether it's in dynamic ways or in subtle, transforming ways, we don't care. We turn ourselves over to you and ask that you would reign. That this week as we go forward, that we would know Jesus better in our own hearts and lives. And that the world around us would see us and say, surely God is among you. Spirit, we trust your intent. We don't just look for the event, but we trust you and ask that you would move in our midst. Now as we sing, remind us of who we are as children of God, part of the new exodus as ambassadors carrying Jesus to the world around us, waiting for the fullness of the promised land to come. Lord Jesus, come. In your name we pray. Amen.